most dangerous people on the planet. Boy, they can do some good. They're bad guys. Exactly. And if anything goes wrong, we blame them. We have built-in deniability. What makes you think you can control them? Uh, welcome to the I Need a Minute podcast, part of Tempia Seniors Network. Um, <laughs> Pulo! Yeah, you can pull it up one time for Selected Drew. No, we Not Selected Drew, by the way. I'm sorry. We, we were having a discussion prior to the podcast about Andrew's not here. Who is apparently choice career choice because he's a selector now, and now let's just give me the full rundown on that. Uh, replete with a, a audio note, a selected Drew live one Yeah, I don't fucking know, man. So here's the thing, right? He used to be a doctor, which we didn't know. L- listen, a lot of things happen on 103.5. Is it 103 or 105? But anyway, a lot of things happen on whatever the beat is that we don't know about. Like, we didn't know that Andrew got his radio doctorate until we saw the promo. And he was Dr. Drew. Because apparently he helps people with whatever he does. What is it? Like, relationship advice kind of thing? So, like, so he's, he's, he's the evil Derek Jackson. And that, well, so just Derek Jackson. Yes, yeah, sorry. Okay, so then he transitioned from that to becoming a selector. It's important you end that word with an A. It's selector, tough. selector, yeah, yeah, selector. So then he transitioned to that, and now he, you know, he he is the leading voice behind what his DJ does. Like, Andrew is leading the charge, and I just find it so hilarious, if you know him, that he does not know any of these reggae songs. Like, not one of them. <laughs> no, this is the person who strictly listens. No. Strictly listens to classic East Coast hip hop. He doesn't know any of these. He, to, he knows them now. Ah, you saying he's been corrupted by the system? Yeah, he knows them now. I know. Come on, you can't do that. He knows them now, at least at his Fair point. enough. Fair I enough. bet you his audience even appreciate it. I don't know. You gotta ask the audience. I don't know what if they the... did because the 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 clip that I sent you was him at the end. <laughs> being Conor McGregor saying, I apologize to absolutely no one for being who I am. And he, he had this line where he said, oh, I'm sorry. I was raised in a two parent home with love. I don't understand y'all. Like this is what he was doing. Selected dream. Jesus fucking Christ, man. Interesting career choice. What's <laughs> wrong with this? It's a I'm pandemic. Sorry. You gotta do what you gotta do. It is a pandemic. You gotta do what you gotta do. I what was the joke that John used to make uh with the hot sauce bottle? Because the show used to be called Hot Sauce. Oh uh, you don't know. So you don't even gotta do it. Yeah. It's so yeah. it's so many yeah. jokes that we probably like went on the wayside. But that's not why we we're here to to podcast, because you know, I think with um a weekly podcast like we have, at least we try to be, is hard to find topics sometimes seven. that that fuck off that peak our interests a lot of the times like it is just difficult and i think it's becoming more difficult because it's just so much garbage out there like it's so much um garbage topics on news events that everything gets brought up to the same level and you think it's all the same conversations and it turns people off of the news or culture even more so than it is and it conflates everything so that's why if you see us like there's some things we just don't talk about, but we will talk about some of those things this podcast, just because it kind of ties in with what we wanted to discuss, which is Adam Curtis's new documentary, um, Can't Get You Out of My Head, which is eight hours long. And I say eight hours long and instead of a miniseries because we're in a pandemic. 
So because Justice League had happened a week before, and that was a four-hour like superhero action movie, right? Uh, and you juxtapose that with Adam Curtis saying like, "I right, well, eight hours, <laughs> like I can so do just eight watch hours." Justice but League it, twice. Yeah, just watch Justice League twice because the Adam Curtis documentary is kind of like a it is a mini series, but they let it all out at one time. You could watch it on YouTube for free, and it is it's almost like he decided to make a documentary with ambient sound all throughout it. So you could go and do a whole I bunch of shit parts. throughout the day. And then the next the thing you know, you learn about scenes. Yeah. You learn about what happened in China in 1963. <laughs> like what? Like, okay, so well, before we before we even actually get into it, I think it's it's interesting in the way you you view it because the way we consume all of our entertainment now changes over the course of the pandemic. Like depending on what it is, you will have a different perception of it. So when you hear that, okay, Justice League is a four hour movie, people may be taken aback by that and think, I'm not sitting down for four hours to watch anything, but they will sit down and watch a mini series that's six hours long if it's yeah. split up into episodes. Like our whole perception of, of it's the illusion of time. consume entertainment yeah. is different based on what it is very different and i just want to like nip this part in the bud that's all the justice league talk you're going to get from this podcast i gave selector drew a shot i gave him two weeks of like yo dog whatever you ready like take your victory lap and you decided not to and that in a nutshell is a problem with dc and why they will never win and never see happiness Go on now. Okay, but you don't understand the type of preparation it takes to get the timing for when to tell the DJ to pull up. He can't just walk in the studio and do that. True. He has to have his timing down. True, true, true. Very All important. Right. So, so back to can't get you out of my head. Yeah. Eight-hour documentary, right? And because I had heard Chuck Klosterman talking about this um, and on, I think, film Twitter, so like the memes about the Adam Curtis voiceover, I saw some of those tweets going on. I was like, let me see what this is about. And it is very hard to describe what this documentary is about because it is kind of like a historical documentary um, from the perspective of four different people in three different continents that kind of shows what happens when human beings act in self-interest individualistic way and then when they act as a collective or a group towards revolution and then the documentary kind of ends on how that impacts society now and economics and capitalism and who is in charge. And that you that made is... it to the end. Oh yeah, come on, dog. come on. This is me. This is me. Yeah, I, I made I, it to the end of this. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, I know that you will make it to the end of this documentary because yeah, think about if you could. Is that the visuals are so arresting in it because he has access to all of. Um, the BBC's archive. So he is pulling up um, archival footage from Japan and China in 1959 as revolution is happening, as the Red Guard is taking over and killing people and there's massacres happen all through China. He's pulling up documentary um, footage from that time period and it's like astounding to see. What, which is why I think it, it's not just so visually stunning, but it, it helps the storytelling in such a way because we were just talking about in pre-production about how so many things that you hear in this documentary, you never even came close to broaching the subject in school, right? You have to go out on your own to find this information out. And 
This takes that a step further because even in our search for information, we are a lot of the times tethered to this side of the world. So anything we know from revolutionary movements during the civil rights era, we just see what American media shows you. But we haven't seen any of this BBC archival footage telling you about what's happening in Europe and Asia and just anything in the Eastern world. So that part of it itself was was new and, and refreshing for me. And it stood out right away. Like that part jumped off the screen. Like you had all of this going on at one time. And that's something that we never learn in the West ever. And not only that, I, I think that in 2021, it is kind of difficult because you say you want people to do the work and research and read up on things, right? But whenever we're confronted with the news, we get the idea that the news is coming from a biased perspective. That's the first thing. And then the second thing is that the news has to condense itself into sound bites and into shorter periods or into like YouTube. Or if someone is doing a documentary, they make it, they try to make it like a, because PBS Frontline will do this, like an hour to 90 minutes long. Yeah. But even an hour and 90 minutes is not enough time to get someone's full perspective. And that is what you realize that eight hour documentary or miniseries really does is that you get this idea of this person's entire perspective because for, and some of it could be wrong. Like, I think that this is a good documentary and there are parts of it where he talks about um, the Black Panther uh, movements and Afini Shakur and then Tupac and the relation between, okay, what happened? Um, how did she raise him and the kind of artist that you eventually um, saw in Tupac. But there are parts of Tupac's life or parts of Tupac's perspective, I think that he got wrong and mm -hmm. like obviously wrong because this is a, a British dude, an older white British dude who is trying to like connect these tethers. And I think for me, that's the most entertaining part of the documentary, not so much historically accurate, is that he will have a random story about a woman, a model who was married to a guy in the UK and then them getting divorced. And you're like, what the fuck does that have to do with anything of what you're talking about? But that, like, he is trying to make this as a comparison between this is what individualism is. And as people were becoming more individualistic, an entire country is becoming more individualistic. Yeah. And then that is why uh, the UK felt bad about uh, getting rid of the colonies and <laughs> like Adam, dog. I don't think that's so, it. You didn't have to go there, but that's entertaining. It took me. It took me a minute to to piece that together because I was, was like, that's why same, it should matter, right? <laughs> that very same storyline. You, you know, like when people start telling. Well, the way documentarians set up the story, right? They give you this background information and they keep adding piece by piece for you to eventually put it together to have that aha moment. And then you have like, you know, this person went on to do this thing that you're familiar with, but they just want to tell you the story from the ground floor. There was none of that in some of these storylines. They like these people did nothing that you are familiar with. They're just there. The screen goes black and then you see China 1959. Like that's it. Like, that's said, what that. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> in part uh the first episode of the documentary, because don't watch this in all in one sitting that's crazy it's like a full work day of you just watching you know, this and what, because of the ambient sound i think it's too much man like you can't sit there no, and don't say that because what's weird is we will sit down and watch that much football on an average sunday like that kind of thing has happened i mean that depends on how good the dolphins are yeah but you a one o'clock game a four o'clock game 
and then you got the eight o'clock game. Look at how much football that is. That's a lot of football. That's a lot of football. So it can't be done. But like just from episode one, I thought, okay, I have a firm grasp on what this is going to be. This is kind of a hit piece on the rise of populism. Like we're going to explore where that came from. Well, where, where that came from and its effect on both, both. Uh, well, I guess you could say both Brexit and what happened with a lot of Trumpism during that same time period. So I, th- I thought this was going to be him exploring the thought, path of that. And that does step. not come up until the very end. And then he started, t- like, he started so you to know, weave together eight storylines. Now, Trump gets 10 minutes of this whole documentary. Which eight hours. Fair. He's like, y'all, I don't care about that dude. Like, he's yeah, like yeah. that. Because the documentary is kind of saying that's not the point. That none yeah. of it is the point that you keep focusing on one thing, but it's, it's not the point. So just quickly, um, mm-hmm. let's go over, like the first episode is called Bloodshed on Wolf Mountain. How, and because it's based off a name that um, Zhang Zhi was in when she was much younger in China. How great a name for an action movie is Bloodshed on Wolf Mountain? I mean, it's clear how much I am a fan of Eastern culture, given that my son has a Japanese name, and I think they are just incredible at naming things. So, <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm clearly a fan. Clearly, part one focuses mainly like on on her and how she goes from her first divorce, where she divorces her husband in one of the most cold-blooded ways. She's like, "Yo, I have a passion for this shit. I gotta be famous. I gotta be rich." Like. This is not, this is not. You can't get me there. Which is and not this is after his suicide attempt. <laughs> yeah, his suicide attempt didn't take because he thought the water was too cold and immediately you knew that was a wrap. Like if it wasn't a wrap before. She's like, it was a wrap like you can't even do that right. Yeah. <laughs> you can't even commit suicide properly. So I want nothing to do with you. But yeah, her story, her storyline is one of the more more interesting ones right away because i think the common perception when you think of that culture is that women are seen as submissive women are never seen as the forebearers of any kind of cultural movement and what michael curtis is telling you is you have that all wrong because this is one of the most powerful this was one of the most powerful women in the world that you just didn't hear about and here's easily by a mile, a country mile. Yeah. And yeah. when you hear about this entire story and her fighting for power this entire time, and then even um, they said that they, um, before she marries Chairman Mao, that they go to Stalin to say, um, essentially, can she strip, can you guys strip her of political power before she marries into him? For and she, for four years. years. Yes, yeah, for 30 years, sorry. And she was just like, Sure, I'll sign anything. Obviously, it didn't work because she yeah, d- yeah. ends up getting the political power and is like a, a figure who I think Adam Curtis is trying to use to say that this is this woman trying to reach her individual goals in the scheme of a collective action by the Chinese people. And what she does kind of like, I don't think she, it, it poisoned it more than like, for instance, Chairman Mao or the Gang of Four or what anyone else was doing. But what it does is it kind of shows she's the embodiment of the individual individualistic attitude that everyone else was kind of harboring while trying to do this collective thing. 
and then it falls apart in the end. And he, he is saying human beings uh, collectively can do so much that in the past we were able to, to work this way. But when these, and this is why he gets into Malcolm X, uh, not Mike, Malcolm X, Michael X, kind of acting oh, in an individualistic really? way. Yeah, because um, it's in the guise of they're trying to do in, uh, collective action for someone or, or be the leaders of some revolution, but their individual approach and their like selfishness in a way, or I think we need to divorce individualism from selfishness, but that kind of gets in the way of, of what the revolution can be or what it can actually achieve. And then I think, I think it, it's a lot of it is meant to show you that there's always this conflict between individualism and collectivism, right? Because I think we're taught that to be great in any aspect of life, whether it's business, whether it's sports, finance, anything, to be great in any one of those arenas, you have to be one individually driven and you have to be a bit selfish. You have to, yeah. you have to be a bit selfish because and this is what he's saying. That's the mindset to, we've been trained yeah, on. For you to be able to, I guess, lead a movement or for you to rise economically, politically, do any one of those things to aid the people around you, you first have to be great individually. And you are going to have to take some kind of measures that's seen as selfish. Like say for instance, to be, to be a great athlete, right? Cause this is the always the easiest one for me to be a great athlete. You have to spend countless hours honing your craft. You have to ignore probably a whole lot of other social things going on. You're gonna have to ignore people. You're gonna have to ignore doing anything outside of the realm of you reaching your ultimate goal. But then when you get there, you're able to help others around you. So that's the kind of individual individualistic approach that you have to take, but in the end, also helping the collective. Like there are a lot of, Malcolm X was big in this, right? There were a lot of measures that Malcolm X had to take individually to lead a movement. And I think that was, that was his whole, that was his whole point early on that there's always going to be a conflict between the two, because if you are a true follower of this collective attitude, where's the line? How far are you allowed to go mm -hmm. to push yourself individually before you're seen as something operating outside of the collective? <laughs> I know you haven't uh, gotten to the whole documentary yet, but there will be a point where you see where people kind of just be like, yo, I can't do this anymore. Or I can't, I cannot um, put my individual attitudes behind me anymore. But it, cause he's using these people as kind of stand-ins for what's happening in the larger culture and is trying to explain what also happens in the larger culture. Cause in episode two, he gets to, he has this story about these German revolutionaries who are going to Palestine to- Before you go deeper into episode two, by the way, that one probably has the best name. Better than that's what, I, that's what I'm getting to. That's, probably that's what I'm getting name. to okay, because go he, he goes to- um, Same thing. <laughs> he goes, uh, these German revolutionaries go, to, they want to help the Palestinian people. And while there, they find out like a, a couple of things that, that they feel very wrong about. So one, they're helping the Palestinians and then the Palestinians, and this is an anecdotal story that Adam Curtis is saying. So if he got this wrong and we're retelling this wrong, we don't know, like I haven't looked this part up. It's an eight hour documentary. You can't do research on research on research on every story he tells. No. So he's, he's telling the story um, about a, a leader there who's telling the German revolutionary, like they had a picture of Hitler in there and saying that this guy killed the Jews 
and this was um, they're lionizing him. And this made the German revolutionaries uncomfortable to say, what the fuck? Like, this is not what we came here to fight for. We came here for the liberation of the Palestinian people. And that's an entirely different subject or different area, right? So that's one. And then two, while they were there, these German revolutionaries started to like hook up. Women were sunbathing on the, um, on the roof. And they told them, um, no, you can't be like no sexual activity. You can't be sleeping together at the time. And the guy says, look, man, like I understand what we're trying to do. But to be honest with you, <laughs> fucking and shooting are the same thing. And we were going to be, we are going to be, we're going to be better at the former if we can do the latter. So it's like, ah. And then Malcolm Adam Curtis like flips it. And the name of the episode two is shooting and fucking are the same thing. It's like this. I same. just, I just can this you just explore. To, this ahead. is a Dorset theory, though. Remember when we'd be like, yo, like if you could dunk a basketball. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm just saying. They, when you think about it, after you get done laughing, you think about it. They kind of are the same thing because you're essentially doing the same thing, just ones at close range. That's all. But can we just, can we just get into? I just want to list the names of all of these so people can know that. I could tell this was a big deal for Adam Curtis, right? I want to give you the list of all six of the episodes just so you can yeah. see w- what he's dealing with, right? So you got Bloodshed on Wolf Mountain. That's episode one. Yeah. That's what we talked about. Yeah. Episode two, shooting and fucking are the same thing. Great name. Episode Great name. three, money changes everything because, of course. Okay. Yeah. Episode four, this this may be my favorite because every time I it's think It's my I favorite have one, episode. It's my favorite episode. But what if the people are stupid? Yeah. Like, that's just, that's just it. Like, I don't even think you have to elaborate further than that. And that explains so much, but we're going to get back to that. Five, the lordly ones. And then six, are we pigeon or are we dancer? Like, so, all these names are fire. Fire. He would be, I think Adam Curtis should be in charge of um, rap album names. And then naming the yes. songs for the rap albums. Because, for instance, all of... That reads like a track list. Yeah, all of Lil Baby's um, albums are going hard, harder than ever, harder than ever before. <laughs> he don't, needs help. Don't he do needs, that. Don't, he needs don't do that. He had, he, had, he had my turn. One. And then that he was had not... my turn deluxe. <laughs> so don't do that. Okay. So he needs Adam Curtis. So uh, Lil Baby, Adam Curtis... Like, like, he don't know but, how to spell properly. Anything with a K sound, he uses two C's. <laughs> but episode three, right? Money changes everything because he, and that he is exploring how uh, the financial system and the power that politicians used to have, they kind of ceded away to people in the um, finance industry because countries, one, needed money, and two, that's where the power lied. And there, he does a lot of talk about the technocrats in it and that people wanted someone who were, the technocrats were kind of like seizing power and taking it away. And he talks about uh, the European Union and what Bill Clinton did. Like when you see a lot of, uh, when Bill Clinton is saying, he, he had a, a State of the Union address where he says um, that the era of big government is over, meaning that, you know, things are going to be more deregulated. It's going to be up to the financial industry more. And the decisions they make kind of end up governing um, how the world operates and how all the money that came in in the 80s and 90s really kind of like pushed away collective action 
made life harder to live. And um, I think is that, yeah, it's so between episode three and episode four, where it's it, where he gets into the idea of you have to keep people like, not, not vapid, but you keep them in their dream world. I think that's the, yeah. yeah so you, you keep the people in their dream world and then they can't escape the dream world because you get, it's the whole idea of like being in the rat race and doing this over and over and then just living from like one event to the next. And that keeps them away from taking any collective action because they are the individual who's the most important person in their life. They don't care about anyone else really. So the powerful people are allowed to do this and go ahead. Yeah. So he laid the, the groundwork for that early on trying to explain to you how, how American imperialism kind of started. Like what was the, what was the groundwork for that and the kind of ideology that the, the country was founded on. And it's that entire idea of an individual being this caricature of the great doubtful hard worker that is going to achieve this economic success and that's the only standard measure of success and by doing that you have this elevated place in society and that's what we're all supposed to be trying to push for the only thing we're su supposed to be trying to reach is figure out the way to get to that economic success you as an individual not not the collective yeah. but you get there you achieve the status and that is what gives your your life purpose that's it that's the basic of basics of what American imperialism is. So in like further into that, he then I think has tangents because he goes into how um, we spoke about COINTELEPRO in previous podcasts, but he, he goes into how yeah, the Black Panthers you. were, were uh, penetrated by uh, New York Police Department and how, <laughs> talk about fucking Keystone Cops that they, infiltrated the organization and then they developed a plot and then they sold the bombs that they were needed to each other to other law enforcement uh, officers and then um they planned this out mapped this all out and then arrested the black panthers and come up in trial when a finisher court is defending herself and the black panthers she gets them to reveal all of the good things that the black panthers are doing in their local organization doesn't matter never matter and yeah, but, and then she gets, she gets them to admit that they were doing, they were the head, the spearhead of all of these plots and buying these bombs and weapons from each other, from the New York police department is doing it. And, and the, these Black Panthers end up getting acquitted. It does not work out as well um, in countless other stories. These people end up being on the run, fleeing to uh, other parts of the world outside America. But he's using this as an example of how these individuals or a different collection of people can come in and because you have power, because it's a group of people, you're seen as a threat, there has to be like some subversive element into it. And there are countless stories like that. And I know you wanted to talk about like the Malcolm, Michael X. I keep saying Malcolm X because he should it, not I have mean, been allowed to do that. Let me just say, but go ahead. But that whole, <laughs> like the that whole, thing, that whole yeah. thing was contrived. He named himself that because someone made that same mistake. It's literally yeah. how it happened. They're like, okay, you must be his brother because... Because there's like two light-skinned niggas. They must be related. Yeah, both, both Mal Michael, Malcolm, both of your ex. All right, fine. Just take it and run with it. But that, that also goes into play when you think about uh, the way this side of the world is when he explored how conspiracy theories are a way to control the way people think right? Because 
if you're buying into the conspiracy theory for, for literally everything, not saying that they don't exist, but if that becomes the driving force behind the way you think, one, it teaches you that, well, it's never, it's, it's never my fault. It's never personal accountability. There's always something else going on to prevent me from getting to this ultimate place. I think you right. see that's where like a whole lot of frustration comes from. Whenever you have these quote unquote lone wolf shooters, it's always them being frustrated at some other that's affecting their life from finding that that purpose. Usually it's always money affecting them from getting to that ultimate goal, right? But uh, he started telling the story about the guys that worked for Playboy, their name escapes me right now. And when they started mm -hmm. this whole idea of writing letters and saying the Illuminati was this grand organization that that really as controls a, everything. As a means in the world. to debunk conspiracy theories, they try joke. to come up with a dumb way to say, like, okay, no one is going to believe this Bavarian but it went the organization. Opposite, it went the complete, complete opposite, opposite way. way. And like, I'm thinking about it, that those guys at that time, there's no way that they thought it was going to become 60 this. years from now that you could go on YouTube, type in Illuminati and see documentaries just fully based off of that. And one of the men who were doing this was the roommate of Lee Harvey Oswald and then gets caught up in the Jim Garrison investigation after the death of JFK. So you're you're sitting there watching this documentary and be like, no fucking way, this can't be true. This and is where it comes from. 100% is now true. And that guy, oh, I don't want, I'll spoil this part for you. That guy no, that, ends that's up fine. becoming that's a conspiracy theorist. So yes. Adam Curtis is saying I was about to say, so time. now look, now look at where all of that has led us to where conspiracy theorists and the driving force behind that whole train of thought literally decides who runs the world. Like, yeah. That's what it is. Look at and the last election. Because what they what they kind of like pull into in episode four, but what if the people are stupid? Stupid is that exact yeah. idea? Is that okay? So you he laid the foundation for one conspiracy theorist to how money is money changes everything, how um, revolutions can be subverted, how an individual can think of themselves as the center. Everyone is the protagonist of their story, and they are the most yeah. important person. Like all of these things, like the Western ideals about um, how one should be the goal, that all of those things are playing into someone's mind, for instance, when they go and pull a lever and vote for someone. And the, the phrase uh, is from a, a, a political scientist and the idea of, but what if the people are stupid is the leaders that you're getting, that's who the people are choosing. And I think like you think about that when people always say 76 million people voted for Donald Trump. That's yeah. right. 76 people, million people voted for him. People can choose bad leaders all the time, often. And even to the fight to get there is going to be about the, I all the previous episodes. It's going to be like money changes everything. Like your individual bloodshed on Wolf Mountain, your individual drive to do something is going to put a politician in that position. And people are not going to be able to make correct decisions based on what they have from the news, based on, on just the limited capacity that they'll be able to internalize uh, news and information from because you're busy doing taking care of kids walking the dog um i, I don't know like baby dog sitting for your friend um oh, all these things that, yeah. <laughs> all these things. but 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 yes all of that all of that's correct and all of that uh prohibits you from actually going out there and and actually looking into a whole lot of 
a lot of this information for yourself and actually trying to do some kind of, because it takes work to discover the truth, right? When you're always mm -hmm. busy and your entire goal for your life is trying to achieve the quote unquote, I don't even want to just call it the American dream, but we know, we know what we reference when we talk about that. So if you spend your whole life chasing that, it's much easier for you to just digest information that's ready made for you. We live in an age of instant yeah. gratification. So if you can just go to YouTube and you click a five minute video that explains everything away by saying, hey, these immigrants or the Illuminati is the reason that you don't have the happiness you want. You could just go ahead and believe that if you could just go to Twitter, which is most people's newspaper nowadays, and you just see it takes you less than 200 words for you to develop a political ideology because you could just say, all right, I like this tweet. This is what I'm running with now. That's easier than you actually sitting through eight hours of an Adam Curtis documentary and finding the truth yeah. or like watching, which was one of my favorites, Oliver Stone's uh, Untold History of the United States. Like another thing. It's yeah. so much easier for you to just digest all of these sound bites and all of these quick segments. They don't have to be true or not, but it, it's legitimately so much easier for people to attach themselves to that and take it and run with it because they don't have to have any personal accountability in the truth. They can just say, I get it. I got it from here. And, and that's literally where the world is right now. And because in episode six, um, are we pigeon or are we dancer um, where he tries to tie everything together and speaks Which about one are we? I don't know, man. <laughs> Because okay. he arrives on the um, the populist kind of like fairs of the future. And the description of, on Wikipedia says that on how we might change it. Now, I just want to tell you that that is not what We're happens not in the last episode. <laughs> no, because all he does is have one postcard, like the same postcard that started um, the documentary is what ends it about like how we made the world. So that means we can make it another way. I'm just paraphrasing, right? There is no, Adam Curtis does not put any like happiness in it because a lot of what episode six is about is about how, because he does talk about this. I forget, I wrote down the name of the, the scientist, the, because he, oh man, like is when he was doing the thread line of um, the Russian author who had moved to New York and then this Russian ballet dancer and how her dad became essentially like, the father of the algorithm and like how he believed that human choices could be um, broken down to ones and zeros, it yes did, and yeah. no's, right? And then they, um, in later episodes, Adam Curtis ends up talking about B.F. Skinner and then he ends up tying, and you see where he's going with all of this, right? Like how he's gonna tie all of that into what an algorithm is and ultimately what social media is, is them collecting data on you to yeah. create a prediction machine. And a, by a prediction machine, I just mean like, predicting how you are going to react the decisions and you are going to make a prediction machine but an influencer as well an influence not just yeah. not just predict what you're going to do but to try to direct your thoughts and how you're going to do right. it right so and because it is about the data and what he's what he is i think messaging us particularly about that point is that this has always been on the agenda but the tools weren't there yet philosophers, scientists have thought about this, politicians have thought about this, but they never had the tools. And now we're MK coming Ultra. to a point in time where, right, they're coming to the tools. Trying to do that shit. And then, and that's, and he also used that in the idea of the documentary, because that's something people thought of as a conspiracy theory. And he's like, that part is true. They just yeah. fucking sucked at it. 
And you don't see that in pop culture. You see the Manchurian candidate and that being a successful idea that what they did, but no, they sucked at it. They were bad at it. And they created some monsters or some people who were unfeeling or they had externalities like the Unabomber, like shit like that ended up happening where someone's a terrorist and terrorizes a lot of America some 20 or 30 years after MKUltra. And I think like, those things, maybe we should have like a second uh, conversation when you're done with it, but it gets, I think, even deeper because episode six is the two hour him finale on it where he mentions Trump and he mentions COVID, but he doesn't mention those things in the way that you would think he's going to mention them. Like, like, cause I, I know people are so hypersensitive on anything dealing with Trump or anything dealing with COVID that. I don't know. I don't get why, but. Yeah. So, maybe. so, but like the, Honestly, in an eight-hour documentary, Trump and COVID take up about 20 or 20 minutes, I think, in total, because it's not the focus. Because it, they, they are, that's just the end result of yeah. what, what, what he's been laying the groundwork that stretched back decades before that. So mm-hmm. to place so much emphasis on, well, I get, of course, the pandemic is a big deal, but to place so much emphasis on one person who was kind of the product of everything he was raised in and what he saw before. He, he's not the genesis of it. He's he's showing he's literally the result of the kind of figure that emerges from the system that's put in place. So I think that's why he was perhaps hesitant to make him such a central central figure in it, because a lot of it was. And I just have a personal theory that the beef is always on site between uh, the UK and America, like always. And so much of this documentary was like, they are so much worse than us. Do you all know how bad they actually are? Like they have been the world leaders, but they are fucking terrible. Well, I, okay, that I, I didn't get. Cause I think he, um, the UK people, he fucking No, eviscerates. I know, I know, I know in the spirit, in the spirit of objectivity and him being a great investigative journalist, he tells you how dirty his home is as well. Yeah, but I think he's saying that it's everyone because like the countries he even focuses on, like I guess Afini Shakur is um, is how he gets into America. Like she's an American representative, Michael X for the UK because when he talks about Rackham and how that part is, that part again is like what I was like, "Mm, I don't know if this is completely right out of Curtis. When he's talking about- he, he paints, paints Rackham in like a good light. Too much of a good light. Yeah, yeah. I was like, eh, yeah, yeah, settle yeah. the fuck down. Yeah. But like, too much of a his, good his phrasing was that, oh, he gave immigrants and the people who um, the British public wanted nothing to do with who came from these other colonies. who or looked he was at, exploiting, he was exploiting the lowest He was exploiting those people. So, and, yes, society. That's that he what it knew was. people wouldn't care about. And Michael X saw that and then ended up taking that same grip with him throughout his whole revolutionary um, career life cycle. And, and yeah. I think like, so that's why you know and a good part about documentaries are, you know it's coming from a perspective. Like Always. And you, and you internalize like, what are the facts that they're laying out? And then how does a person shoot this? And Adam Curtis has a lot of like directorial flourishes where this time you're just gonna have like, you know, Chinese people dancing with weapons right now hitting this mean like TikTok dance that should come up. And that is the kind of, like, like, you know that it's gonna be influenced um, by him and his opinions on these things. And his opinions on these things kind of come out a lot of times in documentaries for better or for worse. I think for the 
most part for better. And at the end of it, at the end, eight hours of this now, I was like, I'm sure you could do eight more. BBC, yeah. what y'all doing? Like, let the man's home. Let him keep. Let him keep cooking. Let Adam and Curtis I cook. The way the way you the way you describe how how it ends and anything you read about the ending, that's the only way it could end because it doesn't matter if you spend eight hours or eighty hours on this. There is no answer to this, and anybody yeah. that has the answer to it, I don't think they're around yet. <laughs> like, we're, yeah, that person has not been born. Of, that person yeah. does not exist yet. So it's almost the documentary is almost saying like buckle the fuck up, because yeah, even <laughs> even when you when we go through the Russian part of it, because I don't think we hit on that yet. When he goes from um, Gorbachev to Yeltsin to Putin and how the oligarchs wanted Putin in charge because they thought Putin was going to be an ally to them, and then Putin said um, when he was in the hot seat and he had a political crisis, fuck the oligarchs. Those are the people. The reason that the society's in the way it's in, put your trust in me. And then Putin just takes over from that point forward and you get to see an entirely different um, kind of Russia that moved from a more, well, even before um, Putin, sorry, from even before Yeltsin, like the revolutionary, revolutionary ideas in Russia kind of faded away as they did with China when capitalism uh, came in and they started to think, people started to think more like Americans. It's about me, it's about, getting what yeah. I want, getting, um, putting myself in the best position and that the Soviet Union and Russia would be so impactful in America and that's it. They use that same individualism against them because he, he brings up the Rachel Maddow uh, part about like the Russian conspiracy with Trump and that's how he introduces it to say that they fucking lie to you. The same, like people always think that, um, it's the right wing who's always attacking and putting out falsehood, but he, he brings it. And I think he means to highlight this point. Like he puts a real nail on this uh, to say that the left told you for the longest time that Russia did this and it goes into, but what if the people are stu stupid, but what if you just did this? <laughs> that yeah. There is no there there that the reason that this happened is because you were influenced by a system you created and now it's a snake eating its tail. And now you're trying to say that, oh, these other people are to be to blame because the American people are so stand up and so great. You think one of the uh, one of the overriding themes in this or one of the major points that he wanted to get across is that people in positions of power often use populism as a crutch. And once that happens and it gains so much traction, so much notoriety and so much power, you can't put that genie back in the bottle and then you right. just can't control it anymore. You can't control it because then like it's the idea of populism and then the idea of um okay what is this collectivism that he is then frowning upon or is now painting in a negative light because it's collectivism spurring through nationalism and individualism it's a different kind of collectivism that is um that has changed that it that it, sh that it shifted and that the genie can't be put back in the ball. And I'd be curious to what he would have thought of the whole um, GameStop stuff because it, it deals with finance and it deals with the market moving based off collective action of people who are decentralized and there's nothing you can do. And Collective he, action, but all of those people were driven by their own individualism and their drive to just get well, themselves. Well, no, no, no. I would say no, because 
You don't think that a lot you don't of, think that's what was happening there? No, because a lot of what the whole Diamond Hands Reddit thing was about was them telling people that even if you as an individual are losing money, you are sending a message to the system and to the I think these that message, big hedge I think funds. that message was corrupted and co-opted by people really Yeah, but that no, that. but that became later, right? But that is not about like where it stemmed from. That's not what the germ of the idea is. The germ of the idea is that um that the hedge funds get to manipulate and to short these markets and they control it and that this left to the 2008 financial crisis. We never would have heard of this had these people not acted and pumped up a stock that was they saw was being shorted and it could have gone horribly wrong, but they said that this amount of people doing it and then getting tipped off um, by what these larger funds were doing that that comes in and, and cuts it. And of course, people came in and tried to make money um, from an individual perspective, and then they made profits and left, and then that kind of made it crumble. So what I'm saying is like, I wonder what Adam Curtis's take on that would be. Would that be a sign of something positive or to be that you try collective action and in the system, it fucking failed horribly. And that you, GameStop got $2 billion from it, but there's nothing to say that the people who like you have not changed a movement. A movement hasn't arisen that fundamentally threatens banks and hedge funds and all of the other the pillars of the financial industry. And yeah, but I think I think I, that's I think that's why the <laughs> I think that's why you walk away from it with a feeling of I guess hopelessness would be would be the right word. That yeah, at the end of it, we learned a lot of stuff. You understand now how so much of what we're living today how a lot of that was set in motion decades and maybe centuries ago but at the same time there's no real charted path for how do you move forward from here there's no real way to discover how to correct any of this stuff because it's not the market isn't going to correct itself right so there's no way for you to walk away from this with anything but a, a sense of a sense of helplessness but I, I think he's also capturing the times. And funny enough, this is a lot, my last point on this part, but, and then we can move on to other topics. And uh, like, I guess how this documentary influenced how I thought about other topics, right? So there's a, this Adam Curtis uh, article from uh, BFI, British Film Institute, where he talks about the top 10 movies that captured their times. Number one on this list, Starship Troopers, 1997, all in. If you know me, it's like Starship Troopers is one of my favorite movies because it's a, it's a fascist idea of how people think the future is going to be or the world is going to be like and how humans would act with an external threat and how citizenship would be dependent on military service, and which is something that people try to implement at the beginning of World War One. Like, yeah, of course, like the people yeah. who should decide whether you go to war are the citizens. Citizens should be people who go in the military because they're the people who are going to die. Like that whole idea or thought cycle. And it's, I'm not going to read because he only, I'll send this article to you, like maybe paragraphs um, on this. I need to know one more. Give um, me one more. Uh, okay. One more, I would say number four, Imagination Lab, South Park, episode 10 of 11. Yes. All right, I'll take it. <laughs> Is it? Three-parted that expresses the things that have been forgotten at a time and politics is dominated by utilitarian economics. You, that it is really know. imagination that changes the world. Kyle's speech about how imaginary beings have changed the world more than real ones is fantastic. 
fucking Adam Curtis. You do, you do know that uh, years from now, South Park is probably going to be, well, I'm sure it may be now, but there are going to be college courses on South Park and its influence it probably on society. Is like people, people well, are gonna not, appreciate it. I don't even know if it'll be the South Park influence, but it will be how South Park interpreted events that were happening. Because like I can't say that South Park um, for their vaccine ones. I don't know if you saw this, right? Their COVID and their vaccine yeah. specials. I don't know if they influence it, but like the criticisms that South Park levies, I think, are really, really good. I, okay, just two. I okay. I got to do four more. I'm sorry. You can but go ahead. You can what go else ahead is on the list. Anchorman, the legend of Ron Burgundy is on the list because he says that it captures the weirdness of TV news. It's a brilliant portrayal of strangely formal the whole TV news thing has become. Uncut gems because it's exciting, fantastical, and made incredibly beautiful, but it expresses the extreme pitch of high emotion that terrifies our age. Scream 2. <laughs> And Scream 2, as soon as he put this, I was like, I know exactly why he put this. And it's, it expresses that the moment we all got trapped in the self-conscious feedback loop of referencing past culture and reworking it. So remakes, he's talking about remakes there that, okay, we always, you'd see Tarantino do this, like this whole idea in the early 90s, and it even does now in fashion, people wearing fucked up wear jeans, um, skinny jeans, and now the mom jeans, people like back. big clothes and big sneakers. This is a personal favorite on for me on this, on this list, Battlestar Galactica. Because it's a... Because Battlestar Galactica is doing the Stephen King thing where it will have like, how do you build a society from nothing or with few people? And Lost did this because Lost bars from Stephen King. And Battlestar Galactica took place during the height of the war on terrorism. So there's a lot of war on terrorism analogies. And I'll just give you one that I have not seen yet. Um, it's from 2019, The Souvenir, just because his breakdown on this is the best. But I, this was a contention for the Oscar in 2019, but I don't think it got nominated. It was um, about the filmmaker. He says, she chronicles the inner life of the social classes as they rise up and fall. In The Souvenir, she captures the moment when one class at its confidence was collapsing and the new individualism of the age was rising up. It's a brilliant piece of reporting on what was really going on in the 1980s. I can't believe he didn't have how high on this list because I thought Method Man gave a tour de force performance. What about how high too? Not as good. Shit, nice. goes back to the remake thing. Should have left that one alone. Should have left it alone. Should have left it on the cutting room floor. So part of why we even did this podcast and wanted to talk about um, Adam Curtis right now and um, can't get you out of my head is because I was struggling and I was telling this to Nal on having a podcast on whatever fucking topic was the topic of the day. Like I mentioned, made a joke about the Derek Jackson thing that he's a relationship coach who cheated on his wife. So what? Like the like in my head, like I, I read this, but then the way people talked about this, like when we were doing earlier versions of the podcast, that would have been a topic that probably we discussed or Kevin Samuels yeah. or his- I think we would have just rant. done it to make fun of him and just talk about how that's uh, that's clearly just another one of these signs that all of this shit that people are following, all of this stuff that you're seeing is- Like it, it's so- What is being sold to you is not, nothing about it is real, but people are just eating it up and using that to determine how they live. Because it's the whole idea of like, 
the eight hour news cycle, not 24 hours. Shit, it might even be a four hour news cycle. Like things are like the hottest burning topic and then it'll go away. Yeah, like, that's it. Like it, it, it was, what else? Like Lil Nas X came up with a video that had satanic visuals and people cared about it. And it's where I think we're still in the cycle because it's going to be 24 hours, but then no one will give a shit. And then it'll yeah, be like, what's the point? This is not a stand-in for any deeper discussion on religion. So why do you care yeah. about it? And it was like that, it, or like the WNBA thing where um, some WNBA players said that black men were the reason that the sport is not succeeding at the heights or that it should be like, all of these topics are the same kind of shit about this I'm is supposed to distract that. you. This is, <laughs> I'm not even gonna do it. This is supposed to no. distract you from something else. Right? And I, I could think of like a hundred other like topics like this that I could just, you could go on any news site, right? And try to try to like read about it. Cause it's something that maybe you would share in the group, in your group mm -hmm. of friends when you're talking about something. But like, are any of them as impactful to the news of the Derek Chauvin case, which started today as well? Like, is it gonna matter? Are people gonna digest it in the same way or you just get the shit like regurgitated and sent back to you, shouldn't the number one story just be on this vaccine rollout and how, if we're going to end up back to normal or am I wrong? Or do these other topics fucking matter? Like, do they care? Cause our escapism is obviously like sports and like yeah. movies or something like that. Like that's it. But like, do these other topics matter? I think it, it, it all, like for me, I understand that there is a time, there's a place, and there's an there's an outlet for everything. But what most people, what most people I think struggle with, well, something that I personally struggle with is the fact that we have access to so much information. The fact that we can literally search and find everything we want to. Which is a better system? Is it is it that, or is it a system where? what's most important is presented to you and you're forced to do a deep dive or at least be somewhat knowledgeable on those topics. But then when you think of it in that second vein, right, then that gets into, well, who's deciding what those important topics are. So the decision makers, do they have your best interests at heart or are, do the decision makers just want you to learn what they feel is important? It may not actually be important or have any real bearing on your life, but the way it's presented to you is this is what you need to know. This is the most I important thing for you. I don't know. I don't know which one of those is better because the free for all where everyone's just all over the place ain't working out that great either because we're just finding, we're just gravitating towards this stupidest 1% thing and blowing that far out of proportion. So I actually don't know which concept is better for, for evolution then, basically. But I don't think a lot of times now, I don't think that it is the individual thing. And this is kind of what Adam Curtis would say that an algorithm is also dictating what gets seen on any social platform and gets promoted, yeah. right? As the, like the distraction candy, like let's call it that. And if you have that, I, I always see this when I see, you always know something as a dog whistle or a red flag whenever, for instance, like some conservative talker like Candace Owens or something, 
would then like why the fuck did they start talking about dr seuss or caring about that or the british royal family or caring about that why did they like, care these... so much about what cardi b was doing at the grammys or cardi b like this is what i'm saying like all of those things <laughs> are like topics that could like oh is this a podcast topic should we talk about it like all of those things are ideas to say that this is how they want their audience to grow and to think and why do those people do that because they want clicks and views to then make yeah. them more money so then they can actually truly become influential because they then get to point to their success and the amount of people that they hold influence of but i'm saying when they drift to frivolous stories like that when your whole idea is that you're supposed to be a serious Above commentator that. on yeah. culture or news or what the fuck are you doing talking about Gina Carano and Star Wars? Like that is the realm of nerd culture for the debate, but you're trying to marry all those things to say that th what they're saying is like, this is how you should live your life and view the world. And then that's it. Like you can't have a disagreement on the on line any between of all of that. The line between all of that is blurred. Now there's no yeah. more. Okay. <laughs> this, this straight stuff. And that's why I think a lot of, a lot of journalists from the previous generation in, in all areas, whether it's hard news, whether it's business, whether it's sports, all of them struggled with what's going on now because everything between entertainment and the actual field of journalism has been blurred together because the, the almighty thing that everyone is chasing is the clicks, is the views, the likes. That's all of it. Like in, in some small ways, it's, it's what the Lebtar show where they always make fun of Cody for that and call him a dinosaur of a bygone era. But you could extrapolate that into any field. And that's pretty mm -hmm. much the same case. So when you see all of these people trying to rise as personalities, say, for instance, if you're a young journalist, in your target goal might have just been like way back, back in the day, your target might have been, all right, I just want to be a columnist or I want to get a radio show. But now you see Skip Bayless being this entertainer, wrestling type figure. And at 69 years old, he gets in a four-year, $32 million deal. Well, what are you going to chase? You're going to try to, you're going to try to repeat that same kind of process. Yeah. So there's no need for you to actually do a deep dive into the stories that mean something. You can just do that and grab all of the attention, all of the likes. And now you have your path to achieving that american dream you have your path to being an and influencer attention and nuance nuance takes are on completely different ends of the spectrum skip <laughs> dalis cannot do both he can do one he can't no. do both because if he had a nuanced take then that's not entertainment anymore it, it would crumble because i don't the masses don't want nuance though and it <laughs> It, it like, pains as somebody as somebody that does it kind of pains you to say it right because there's a completely different experience when you listen to someone like Bomani and then you listen to Skip you know what I mean but people like Skip are the ones that the masses want the masses don't want to hear the thing the things that Bomani has to say at least to me Bomani is wrong a lot but at least I yeah. believe Bomani thought about it and like is not playing a character. That's what he believes from his life experience and things he's researched and along with being a journalist and talking to people. And this is like, again, this is the same thing with Adam Curtis. There are parts of this documentary. I think Adam Curtis gets completely wrong, but that's okay, so though. what, but like yeah, you gave okay. me this, you get, you were able to like, present information where it allowed me to be on the other side of what you thought without me thinking like oh i must be an idiot for not thinking the exact same way that you do that right. so or it's, I, like you don't have some fiery take on it on the other end of it 
So the desired goal, I think for, and this is something that uh, we always talked about in journalism class, right? The desired goal for whenever you do an op-ed piece is you, you literally want to open up conversation. It's not for you to just win people over. And I think that's the same way with any storyteller, with any documentarian. It, it's, it's a conversation piece. You want to get people talking. You want both sides of the spectrum to weigh in on this. You don't want everyone to just gravitate to say, okay, you were right. Let's all just laud you with praise because you're the smartest person ever and you had this idea we, we didn't think of. While that may seem that may seem like a great idea, that's not what people actually want though. That's not what people mm -hmm. actually want. You want people pushing back on both sides of whatever it is because there's, there's a part of us that you, you want you want to know that there was some flaw in this. There was some human error in this because what comes along with that is the room for you to get better. I think when people get to the point where, particularly with artists, when you get to the point where you feel like you've reached max capacity and that's when boredom sets in and there's no hunger there for you to continue trying to achieve, nothing pushing you to continue to excel. But when you know that okay, there's a hole in my game here. I have to continue to work harder. I think that's when people create their best stuff. Agreed. I got nothing else. I think that's the cherry on the top. Did you want to talk about the vaccine rollout or COVID and how that's um, happening in the Bahamas? Because I have one take on it. this. <laughs> our parents got the COVID vaccine. But to be fair, they are old people. Yeah, and I, I mean brought I brought this up in a group and I feel like this has to be said. I see in Nassau, there's like, it's like, there's it's a lot of, a lot of non-doctors getting this vaccine. I have friends who have had this vaccine. Yes, like, I, I have it. friends that got the vaccine and I was like, boy, a part of me just wanted to go when Mamita was going and trying to see if I could finesse that. Just because, finesse you see, like Because bro, we have a lot of those same conspiracy theories here. So I feel like, you got some just laying around. We get to jump the line. We get to jump the I, line. I'm saying, yeah, I feel like there should be an option for, listen, if the conspiracy theorists don't want it, I feel like there should be a filler and a stand-in person just waiting in the wings. And I could be that guy. Let me get that. How did these other people get it? This is how I, out the loop we are. You got to ask the, the dog father to see if he get it. I, 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 I asked one person how it happened and they were like, they just apply and just go. They're not going to turn you away. As much as they're telling people not to come there, they're not going to turn you away. Now, this was very early on in the process. So I don't know if yeah. things changed then, but early on in the process, this person got it and their mom was there getting it at the time. She asked if, if he can come and get it. And the nurse is like, yeah, man. That's love our it. country. Like, love our country. Life saved. Life yeah, saved. This is, if you know, my whole thing. If we had an episode uh, to go on out of Curtis's documentary, an episode title would have to be, yeah, man. Yeah, man. Fucking Because, man, you know, it's the most annoying part, at least for me, is that America was handling this, and I said this in a group, so poorly, and they got the vaccine, and they will be free by June. That they would, like Biden's like, yeah, by May, everyone can get at least one. Everyone who wanted to have it by I mean, May. The fact that they handle America is like America is like prime shack, but like they ain't working on their game. They just having fun, getting fat. They ain't practicing their free throws. They they ain't putting then, in none of the work that they see that. Then the conference doing, finals but come, but then they dominate. They in shape and then dominate. <laughs> 
it's like it America is that the super team that can flip the switch in the playoffs. Like, hey, we it never played defense matter. before. Now we can do it. I'm sorry. Remember when the Colts could not stop any offense, and then all of a sudden they got but to the playoffs. White Freeney was insane. Him and Fox was did. insane, and then that then was it. Did. And then they win the Super Bowl. Then they did. That is literally. That is literally what they are. Handled the entire thing poorly, but then it gets down to it. You look up at the scoreboard. They got 30 and 30 and they the finals MVP. That's and it. I think that, that, that more, more so than anything else, that is the number one reason you don't go to war with America. Because then nah. they did. Because at some point, then you realize that they have, talk about collectivism and individualism. They have a bunch of people who think there's Captain America and Iron Man and Thor just in their they army. And they will ride to that motherfucker. It's like, oh shit, no, we can't do that. No, you have to. No, be it's not gonna work. Overwhelming numbers. I was gonna make an Attack on Titan reference, but you don't watch that, so. No. Oh yeah, no, I didn't. I didn't get to it. I'm getting to it. Okay. Okay. Not yet. Eventually. Yeah. Baseball's been a lot, though. I. It's been a lot. Can't even imagine. No. He's taking his antigen test. Yeah. Okay, let's just end the podcast. This has been 10 years. I need a minute podcast. I go listen to it. <laughs>